trust the only payment solution offered through the ABA Advantage program and approved by all 50 state bars for IOLTA compliance, LawPay. Just about every lawyer knows the difficulty of getting a client to listen. In spite of years of training and experience, legal advice is sometimes seen as just that, advice, something to be evaluated and potentially disregarded. But by some accounts, there's one source that your clients are more likely to listen to, and well, you're not going to like this. The reality is your clients may be more prone to accepting the advice they get from a bot. Don't laugh. We've all seen it. We may even have done it ourselves. Feeling sick? Don't go to a doctor, go to Dr. Google. Need to get in shape? Don't look for a personal trainer. Download a fitness app on your phone. Or a culture that prefers convenience over expertise. We don't like to be judged. And often we'll choose something that's free or nearly free rather than paying for an offering you can't reach out and touch, like legal advice. So what happens when this culture and new technologies target the legal profession. I'm Stephanie Francis Ward, and you're listening to the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered, the podcast where we explore some of the more unusual corners of the legal profession and the law. Today, we explore the question, could robots replace lawyers? Before we get to how a robot could potentially steal your clients, we need to put this all in perspective. First, fans of the idea say that real-life lawyers will always be needed. And bots actually make lives easier by doing tasks that few, if any, attorneys enjoy, like telling clients in messy custody battles they shouldn't swear at their exes, especially by text. But more on that later. Let's start with online dispute resolution, often referred to as ODR. This area of the law is characterized by the use of technology to resolve disputes more efficiently and ideally less acrimoniously. It's now used by many apps and frequently is more about customer service and avoiding legal disputes. And while you may be hearing more about ODR now, its origins are ancient history and can be found in the pre-World Wide Web days of online communication. I actually really enjoyed interacting with other people online. It just felt very honest to me to, you know, interact with someone not face to face. So you couldn't you couldn't make assumptions about them based on their age or their appearance or their race or any of those things. It was, seemed like it was kind of intellect to intellect. But unfortunately, uh, people can get sucked into conflict even when they're interacting online and they can't see each other. And that, that's why these flame wars broke out. That was Colin Rule, who built a career resolving online disputes through his own companies, Online Resolution and Madria.com, as well as companies like eBay, PayPal, and Tyler Technologies. And last year, the ABA Center for Innovation and its section of dispute resolution awarded him with the Frank E.A. Sander Innovation and ADR Award, which is given annually. If you are an attorney and you're representing someone, oftentimes a big part of your job is getting your client to be reasonable. Sure. Can technology get people to be reasonable in place of a human? Well, I will say people are just as complicated on either side of an online communication as they are face-to-face. There's nothing about technology that makes people suddenly reasonable. But there are a lot of things that technology can do to uh, help parties understand what kind of issue they're really dealing with and set reasonable expectations about what kind of resolution is appropriate. One of the things we talk about a lot in the court context is when someone comes in and they say, okay, you know, I have a small claims dispute, 
if they've never spoken with a lawyer, they may not know what an appropriate resolution is. I mean, they may say, look, I've missed work and I've had emotional damages. So even though I'm, I'm only out $1,000, I want $10,000, you know, for all the other costs that I've incurred. Well, software can say, okay, here are 5,000 other cases that have been filed in this court that look like yours, and here are the resolutions that were achieved. Again, it's not telling you what your resolution is going to be, but that information can be very helpful in what we call establishing the ZOPA, the zone of potential agreement. And prior to a negotiation actually starting between the disputants, if uh, parties have access to information about what the the range of settlement for other similar cases were that can help them be a little bit more reasonable because they, their expectations may be tempered a little bit as opposed to if they just come in blind and they've made up a number. It's not surprising that the wealth of information people can get quickly through their computers may seem empowering, but it could certainly be argued that the information is wrong or the consumer doesn't understand it and a lawyer could set them straight. So why might consumers take advice from computers better than lawyers? Let's hear from Warren Agan, Managing Director of Elevate Services. He also serves on the Governing Council of the ABA's Center for Innovation and chairs the Business Law Section's Legal Analytics Committee. I think it comes down to trust. They, they don't necessarily trust lawyers as a group. They don't have a relationship with the attorney. They haven't built up trust with that person. So one place where technology can help with that I mean, I don't think people are going to trust a machine per se where they don't trust the lawyer. But if they can get information using technology about outcomes and what's reasonable, uh, what they can expect, they may trust that information. And it may be something that, you know, you see in a court system, which is maybe more trustworthy. It might be something that they see from a services organization in their neighborhood, which, again, they may view as more trustworthy. Or it may be a tool that helps the lawyer to give the client real numbers as opposed to sort of vague outcomes. Attorneys will often say that clients need a human touch in their legal representation, but sometimes that can cross over to what the profession refers to as hand-holding, which can be a big time suck if lawyers don't have good boundaries in place. We asked Warren about that. For some people... Litigation is often about needing to be heard or feeling the need to be heard. Can that need be met by technology as opposed to a real-life lawyer or court? Sure. I mean, that sounding board, right, being there, listening to your client, finding a way for them to speak to the other side, this is something that a good consumer lawyer does, but it's not per se lawyering. You don't need a lawyer to do that. So it is something that could be done by other professionals. And it's something you can build into legal systems, right? Having a way to sort of be able to to provide the information to be heard. There's actually some really interesting work that's been going on in the technical field on machines and computers that can elicit and respond to empathy. I can give you an example. If you go and you watch a movie they'll have sometimes computers or robots that you really connect with, right? It's technology, but you almost feel that they're real, that they are people, and you get emotionally attached to them. I enjoy R2-D2 as much as the next person, but that's still science fiction, at least for now. But what about Warren's assertion that it doesn't take a JD to be a good sounding board? Colin says that this is a skill we've seen communities on the internet utilize for decades, 
long before ODR was a thing. Online dispute resolution, really as a concept, wasn't created until the late 90s. But, you know, what I often found, there were some uh, disputes that arose when I was in college, which was the early 90s. And, uh, you know, we had controversies on campus and people would just really start going at it with each other. You know, what I had learned in my mediation training is the power of the third side, which is if you have party one and party two and they're arguing with each other, there's a lot of things that a third side, someone who's neutral, it doesn't necessarily have a dog in the fight, as they say, can come in and sort of ask questions and reframe and listen to people. You know, it's a very powerful thing when you're a third party, like a, a mediator, and you just come in and say, okay, you know what? Why don't we take a step back here? Tell me what you really think is going on here. Just from your perspective, everything that's going on, and why don't we give them a chance to say what they what they feel about what's going on? And then, okay, thank you for that. Now the other side, why don't you have a chance? Even just stepping in with a little bit of process like that as an uninvolved, neutral participant, there's a lot that you can do. And it's not even just a neutral third-party individual. Sometimes the third side can be dozens of people, and two people are having a fight online, and there's lots of people lurking and kind of watching. And what they often don't realize is they have a role to play in, in all of those conversations, ensuring that they stay productive. One app we found that is based on dispute resolution principles is Co-Parenter, which helps parents who are not together navigate raising their children cooperatively. It was started by Cheryl Ellsworth, a retired family law court judge from Riverside, California, and Jonathan Verk, who previously was an executive vice president at Shazam, a Silicon Valley tech company. Their app relies on artificial intelligence for some tasks and also connects users to mediators in real time through text for about the cost of your monthly Netflix subscription. Can you tell me a story about one of your experiences in handling one of the mediation requests with the service? I recently worked with a couple that had not been a couple other than to parent a child. Um, it was a very brief encounter. They parented a child. Each of them had different families and different children and relationships. And this child was very, very ill, a newborn, still in the hospital. And these parents needed to create a complicated schedule in order to both be at the hospital to both be parts of the families that existed and to both be able to communicate to one another and the doctors. That's a complicated stew for anyone to try to sort out. But by taking a timeline of a singular day, we were able to figure out hour by hour what the schedule of the parents would be one day a week. The experience was phenomenal for them because they were too caught up in not only the anger with one another, but Obviously, the hurt and the fear and the worry about their poor little infant child that was not thriving. After spending years on the bench as a family law judge, Judge Ellsworth wanted to take her experiences and apply them through technology. So I think the wonderful thing about technology is that it is the level set for individuals. They are hearing from an expert third-party voice, even if part of that is a bot and part of that is artificial intelligence that is reiterating from a professional standard, an app created in part by a judge an app that also is infused with intelligent dispute resolution, meaning there's a human at the other end that is a qualified expert. Sometimes it's that old adage that you never believe a prophet in their own town or in their own family if you're a lawyer. But if you have a third party, artificial intelligence, 
a mechanism, a human that is an expert in the field of the issues before them, then I believe that it backs up what the attorney is trying to say, and it does it a lot quicker. Also, Judge Ellsworth says that her app can advise clients on the specifics of being reasonable, a task many attorneys find tedious, especially when they have to give the advice to the same client multiple times. Just imagine you saying it's a crappy day, but using another word that's a little more elevated. Even if you're talking about the day, that will come up and say, are you sure you wanted to use that language? You may say, yeah, it is a crappy day. I want to use that language. There's a big difference between saying it's a crappy day and you're a crappy co-parent. It is foul language. It is hate speech using something like the N-word or some other derogatory slur. It is aggressive speech. And now we're even working on the positive end of that. When we have heard enough individuals, the bots start to learn that this means they may need to look at a calendar. They may need to have a mediator. or This may be elevated or escalated to an argument. And or it might also be a a resolution. So we're getting to the space where we can prompt and say, would you like to talk to a mediator as well? Can the filter pick up a condescending tone? The filter currently does not pick up condescending. However, that bot is being developed now and we're starting that bot now where you literally can have a conversation and the innuendo of sarcasm And the innuendo of something that triggers an argument or the next words can be tracked in such a way that that is a possibility in the very, very, very near future. Judge Ellsworth doubts that bots would ever replace lawyers and mediators in family law matters. According to her, people still like the human touch, even if it's through a text. Every day when I do coaching and mediation, I receive affirmation from individuals that they finally feel heard. Yesterday, literally, I was uh, mediating a family, very, very um, acrimonious. And at the end, we came up with three separate agreements. And the parting shot to me was, I've tried for 12 years to be heard. And for the first time ever, I feel like somebody cared enough to listen. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. When we come back, we'll turn our attention to a chatbot that gives consumers a bit of the same tech-enhanced power that companies have been using for years. So stick around. LawPay is the only payment solution that ensures trust account compliance for both credit card and e-check transactions. Right now, they have a special offer for asked and answered listeners. Open a new account by April 30th and receive a $100 credit towards processing fees. Welcome back to the show. Before the break, we explored the rise of online dispute resolution in an app that, with a human touch, helps families navigate the incredibly difficult situation of raising a child apart. But what about the legal disputes where the human aspect seems to only be rather one-sided? For many years, tickets, penalties, and fines haven't been doled out by law enforcement or corporate employees, but by computers. Think about traffic cameras sending you moving violations or automated fines from your bank. There's no person deciding to charge you. It's all automated. But if the consumer wants to argue the issue, then it becomes very human, often with Byzantine terms of service and onerous arbitration clauses that discourage the fight. So what happens if consumers adopt similar technologies and how might companies respond? I asked Warren about that. I mean, it makes me think about do not pay, which is a new company uh, funded out of Silicon Valley. And 
you know, they're just rolling out more and more products and they, you know, they start off with parking tickets, but their, you know, their latest product is privacy violations. And they set it up so that it can automatically detect the privacy violation, can automatically file a lawsuit, right? It's all automated. So I don't know what the tipping point is where companies look at that kind of activity and say, this is something we have to respond to. Like right now, I suspect it's still very small. It, it may be that their response is to say, well, we, we'll just stop doing the things we're not supposed to be doing. We're just going to be more compliant. It might be. And, and this may be a really good thing. It might be that, that that kind of activity helps them identify where they are missing something. If they have a problem with compliance, instead of having to wait until the class action lawsuits find come or there's some huge event or the Federal Trade Commission files a lawsuit against them, right? They can get a signal from consumer activity and then respond to that signal. That may actually be good both for the consumers and for the companies. Companies may not agree, at least in the short term, that being more exposed to lawsuits from consumers would be a good thing, but it could be a fundamental shift in consumer law. We reached out to Do Not Pay, the company Warren mentioned, and spoke with their founder, Josh Browder. In Chicago, most of the tickets are automated. There's some sophisticated technology behind that, and the same is true with companies when they're trying to charge you all of these fees. They have AI charging you the fees. It's not even people anymore. Meanwhile, consumer rights is stuck in the 1960s where everyone still has to write their own letters and submit their own letters, often by mail, just to cancel a subscription. And so what we're trying to do at Do Not Pay is bring consumer rights into the 21st century as well. The big companies are already using it to rip people off. Now it's time for consumers to have the power to use technology to fight back. On Do Not Pay's homepage is a list of things you can do with the app. And one of those things is that you can, and I quote, sue anyone at the press of a button. Honestly, that sounded a little wacky to me. So I asked Josh why that was there and if the ability to sue anyone immediately was a good thing. In the app itself, we don't say it anywhere. We say owed $500 plus. The reason we say it on the website is a lot of people, when they want a refund from an airline, they don't know the difference between customer status disputes and suing someone. And so we capture a lot of customers who search like Sue United Airlines on Google and that we're the number one result just from our content, not with apps. And so we deal with United Customer Service on their behalf. We're not suing them, but a lot of people misunderstand the word Sue, which is why we say it. One thing that distinguishes Do Not Pay from services like Co-Parenter is that Do Not Pay was not founded by a former judge or a lawyer or even a law student. Josh started working on Do Not Pay this summer before he entered Stanford University as a freshman. Incidentally, he's also one of the ABA Journal's legal rebels. I like to think of the law as society's operating system. It, it is very fuzzy sometimes with complicated cases, but for consumer rights, it's very black and white. If the company doesn't deliver what you're asking for, the rules have been broken. And technology, unsurprisingly, is very good at understanding rules. And so Do Not Pay will help interpret the rules, apply them to your case, and then generate a letter saying all the rules and send that off for you. And really, that's all you need. Because if you know what your rights are and know where the right person to tell that they're breaking your rights, 99% of the time, that will get you a better treatment from these companies. 
So does Josh think that programs and chatbots like Do Not Pay are ready to put lawyers out of business? Does he envision that the offering will soon do away with the need for attorneys? The answer is no, and Josh is quick to admit that. Even as a regular user of his service, he still sees plenty of times when bringing in a human attorney is the right move. Do Not Pay uh, is a company as well. We have raised money from top investors in Silicon Valley. And in these documents, they're extremely complicated. And so for that, we definitely have the best attorneys at a law firm called Wilson Sonsini who help us with these complicated documents. And that's a perfect example of something that's very human touch and that software generally won't replace it anytime soon. Josh says that his product doesn't remove lawyers from legal work, but it does eliminate the need for them to do simple tasks, which can be easily automated. He also says that his app makes it easier for consumers to get their complaints heard and taken seriously on matters that they may have dropped if they had to do everything themselves or hire a lawyer. I think that uh, robots, who I do not pay, aren't going to be arguing in the Supreme Court anytime soon. And there are many issues that require a human touch. If you're being accused of a serious crime, obviously a chatbot is not going to help you. However, for the vast majority of Americans, they just want to live quiet, easy lives where their rights are respected. And for those people, they shouldn't have to see someone just and pay a lot of money to get that done. This started to hit home in a very real way after the coronavirus pandemic began. With people out of work at levels not seen since the Great Depression, Do Not Pay recently announced it will be helping its users file unemployment claims. While most people wouldn't hire an attorney for that, or even to handle the appeal if they get turned down, it is an issue where asking for legal advice is not uncommon. Indeed, the COVID-19 pandemic has made us realize we all depend on digital services in our lives, and it really does make us rethink some of our old assumptions about what other legal services could be automated. So will you find yourself being replaced by a robot lawyer? Maybe not, but you might find yourself being a partner with one. I'm Stephanie Francis Ward, and you've been listening to the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered. Thank you for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, please read us an Apple podcast or your favorite podcasting app and share your thoughts and ideas with us on Twitter at ABA Journal or my own handle at SFW70 Roman numeral two. The ABA Journal's Asked and Answered is a joint production by the ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network. This episode was produced by Evan DeSherry and me. Additional production and invaluable guidance provided by Adam Lockwood. Mix and edited by Nathan Todd Hunter. Support and encouragement from executive producer Lawrence Coletti. The music for this episode is licensed from Soundstripe.com. You can find more details about the music we used in the show notes of this episode. Special thanks to our guests, Colin Rule, Warren Egan, Judge Cheryl Ellsworth, and Josh Browder for sharing their thoughts and experiences with us. 